As a soldier, you're trained to follow orders. The chain of command is the backbone that makes for a strong and efficient military. I knew that. I was often the one giving the orders. At that moment, however, I wanted to do anything but follow pilot's command. For the first time ever, I felt torn inside. Everything that I believed about the Empire of Rome seemed hanging in the balance. How could one man bring me to this place? I swallowed hard, I gathered myself, and I turned to my man, my men. Prepare Jesus for crucifixion, I said, and it was done. Now my men were well trained. I had given them the word and they knew exactly what to do. Crucifixion began with more beating and torture. Rome's power and strength was to be seen throughout the whole process. It was our way of demonstrating that the empire was not to be trifled with. There's a certain amount of fear that must be utilized for power to be truly effective. What the public would see over the next several hours would implant fear deep into their hearts and they would think twice about crossing Rome. Usually I had no problem with these types of activities. Oh, it was horrible, but it served a greater good. The people who were crucified were not good people. They were the scum of society. They deserved what they got. Rome and the whole world was better off without them. They usually spewed their hatred and venom up to the point of death. Two others were scheduled to be crucified today as well. I knew them. I'd seen them in action. And their death, trust me, was no loss. But I couldn't shake the feeling I had about Jesus. He was not like any man I had ever seen, much less any man I'd ever crucified. For the first time in my life, Rome had given me an order that I was struggling to follow. It didn't make it any easier when Jesus said nothing as my men broke him, pushed him as far as they could. He just took it. Beating a victim who doesn't respond in his own defense does something unusual. It, it takes away the satisfaction. I responded to this with some weird type of compassion, but my men were just the opposite. The more meek he was, the more violent and hateful they became. They beat him more, mocked everything about him. They shamed and humiliated him, all trying to get some response, but from him, nothing. I finally said, enough, prepare the cross. And at this they shifted gears, lifting the heavy cross beam onto Jesus' shoulders and using their spears, they prodded him out of the court and onto the road. He stumbled under the weight, but he was stronger than I expected after the beating that he had endured. Usually, I led the procession from the palace to the hill of the skull where the crucifixions reached their gory conclusion. I felt it important to show the power and dignity of the empire to all those who gawked at the victims as they made this their final journey. But this time I chose to follow. As I think about it, maybe I was subconsciously protesting this evil act. Whatever the reason, this change of perspective gave me a fresh vision as to what was actually happening. It's about a half a mile to the destination, and as I watched Jesus and the people who lined the road, I noticed one thing that was consistent the entire time. At first, I thought it was just a coincidence, but almost without exception, the upper echelons of society cheered as Jesus passed by, adding their voices to the mockers that day. But the outcasts of society, the poor, the homeless, the physically flawed, every single one of them were weeping. It was a class division for and against Jesus. I found it so odd. As I rode on at the back of the procession, I realized that while on the outside I appeared to be part of the upper class, a Roman centurion, well-respected, powerful, and wealthy, that on the inside I wept at the death of this man. Inside I felt broken and weak and almost hopeless.
I realized as I rode on my powerful horse that the image I presented was merely that. It was just an image. That one day my strength and my position would be gone. One day not even children would obey my commands. What or who would I be then? I realized that these actions being taken under my command were going to haunt me until the day that I died, and a darkness settled around me as I rode. For the first time in my life, I felt as if I finally knew what was really important, and I realized I had little, how little I had given my life to that specific thing. I realized that the power I had chosen as a servant of Rome paled in comparison to the power exhibited by this beaten man walking in front of me, insulted by the powerful, loved and mourned by the broken. You see, Jesus had destroyed me. Before this week, I had no problems. My life made sense. The world was mine. But with his mere presence, Jesus had shaken my very foundations. His peace and strength under the greatest of suffering revealed the fact that for all my wealth and power, I was actually empty and weak. And I didn't know what to do with that. Soon we arrived at the site. Jesus was thrown to the ground, then kicked and shoved onto his cross. They strapped his arms and feet in place so that he wouldn't jerk away when they nailed his wrists and his feet to the wood. I knew Jesus would cry out when the hammers pounded the spikes into his flesh. I was wrong. His body spasmed, his face contorted in pain, but he said nothing. He was quiet as they pounded, quiet as they lifted the cross up into the air, quiet as they bounced it into the prepared hole in the ground, quiet as he began to pull himself up in order to breathe. I'd seen his back after the flogging. The thought of it rubbing against the cross as he pulled himself up time and time again to breathe gave me another surge of nausea. It was as if I had never seen a crucifixion before. The fact that this man was from everything that I could see innocent changed everything. It further intensified my own feelings of guilt. I was the one in charge of the event. I could stop it and I should but I just couldn't. It would be suicide. It would be the end of all that I'd worked for, all that I'd committed myself to for so many years. This was a great evil done by my hands, and yet I could do nothing to stop it. People mocked Jesus as they walked by. If you're the Son of God, why don't you come down from there? Their voices were cutting and full of sarcasm. Yet inside, I silently pleaded for him to do the same thing. But nothing happened. Just the constant straining, lifting his body against the pressure of the nails, the drawing of a breath, the hanging there, hours passed. Midday was approaching. And then he spoke. I was so surprised to hear his voice. He'd been silent since Pilate's questioning, but what he said devastated me. He said it as he looked at me, looking at him. His eyes, what I could see of them, penetrated into my very soul, and he said this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And with that, I broke into tears. It was as if he read my very thoughts and was forgiving me for the actions that I was inflicting upon him. I quickly hid my face so that no one could see what was happening, but I didn't need to, for at that very moment, the sky went completely dark. And I mean dark, like it was the middle of the night. But it was even worse than that. As night falls, people start lighting torches and lamps. But here on this hillside, there were no torches. There were no stars, no moon, just darkness. I was grateful for something to hide my weeping, but also something to distract me because there was a, a low-grade panic in the crowd, and I quickly yelled out for my men to keep the peace. Everyone stand still. Do not panic. This will pass. But it didn't. 
After a few minutes, our eyes grew accustomed to the darkness, enabling us to see a bit, rough outlines, but the darkness did not dissipate. I wondered if God himself could no longer stand to look at this travesty. As if voicing my very thoughts, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And once again in the darkness I wept, longing for this to all be over. The darkness lasted for like three hours. I knew it was three in the afternoon because I heard the shofar blow from the Temple Mount. It was the time of the Jewish afternoon sacrifice. And as if he had been waiting for this very moment, Jesus spoke one last time. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And at the sound of his voice, the earth shook. Immediately the darkness was gone. I saw his head fall to his chest. At that moment, I knew the truth. I knew it deep in my soul, and it rose from deep within me. Truth that deep, that profound, begs to be spoken. And out of control, I fell to my knees at the foot of the cross, and I said it. Surely this man was the Son of God. In the chaos of the moment, no one even noticed me. But I wasn't sure I even cared. Something way bigger than me, something way bigger than Rome had just happened, and I could only respond in awe and surrender. As I knelt there, an image flashed through my mind. It was an image I knew, my dream. The proud eagle humbly bowing at the feet of the lamb. And I understood. Even though I understood the dream, I wasn't quite sure what to do. Rome had offered me power and strength. I offered myself to Rome in return. It had worked for me for so many years, but now after this, things were different. What could this humble lamb of a man offer me, especially now that he was dead? I stood to my feet, oblivious to everyone around me, gripped by the meaning of my dream, but not knowing where it was leading me next. I stood there for quite a while, lost in my own thoughts. I was interrupted by a messenger with a summons to report to Pilate. At first, I was gripped with fear, afraid that someone had seen me kneeling at the cross. But that was not the case. Pilate just wanted to confirm that Jesus was dead. He was pleased to hear that he was. A highly respected Jew named Joseph had asked for the body of Jesus. He told me that the other Jews were already complaining about having bodies on crosses during the Passover Sabbath. He authorized the release of the body of Jesus to Joseph and told me to make sure that the others were dead by 6 o'clock. Another order to follow, another job to do. I busied myself with these things to give my mind a rest. After the three men were dead, we removed them from their crosses. I usually only watched this happen, but I actually helped to remove Jesus. It was as if I was hoping he would communicate something to me, or maybe, maybe I was trying to communicate something to him to say sorry for all the events of the past 24 hours. But nothing happened. If anything, I only felt worse. Touching the body only confirmed that there was no hope. Joseph took the body away. I dismissed my men and returned to my quarters. And as I walked, I realized this was the first time in many years that I had felt hopeless. As a centurion, I had always had power to make things happen, but I could do nothing for Jesus now. I had followed the lead of Rome, and look where it had gotten me. That night I tried to sleep, but my dream came back over and over, the eagle bowing to the lamb, but there was one thing different. By the time the eagle bowed in worship, the lamb was lying dead on the ground. I woke up in a cold sweat, wondering how long this would go on. How can you worship a dead man? After an eternity, the sun rose, and as the light broke through my window, a knock came on the door. A messenger from the palace was there. I was to report to Pilate at once. 
And when I arrived, the Jewish leaders were back in the courtyard shouting about Jesus and his followers. It seems that Jesus had talked of rising from the dead. He had said something about three days, and the ones who hated him so were afraid that his disciples would steal the body. And they were asking Pilate to post a guard. It was the first I'd heard of this, Jesus rising from the dead. Coming back to life, it sounded preposterous, but actually after what I'd seen over the past week, anything was possible. I almost felt a surge of hope for the first time. I immediately volunteered to guard the tomb, offering as many men as were needed. Pilate agreed and told me to secure the tomb with four men, rotating them every three hours, making sure that no one slept. Not to worry. I'd make sure we saw everything that happened. I chose 32 of my top men, meaning that they would only serve three hours per day. They needed to be at their best. I would stay around the clock because sleep wasn't working for me very well anyway. Our first duty at the tomb was to verify the body was inside. It took the five of us there to move the stone, and even then we could only move it just enough to shine the lantern inside. There on the stone lay the body of Jesus, pale and cold and very, very dead. We pushed the stone back in place and then sealed it with the official seal of Rome. The seal verified the presence of the corpse and it also kept people from entering the tomb as if that was even possible. Once that seal was in place, only the highest ranking official could open it. And after that was finished, we waited. All day nothing happened, which was to be expected. It was the Jewish Sabbath and there was very little activity in Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Throughout the night, all was still. At one point, I slipped away to sleep for a few hours, leaving my men in charge, hoping to avoid the dream of the eagle and the dead lamb. But it came. It must have been only moments after I fell asleep. Everything was as it always was in the dream, the eagle seeking out the weakest lamb, diving toward it in a predatory swoop, me running with the staff trying to frighten the eagle away, watching in amazement as the lamb fell to the ground dead and bleeding, and the eagle bowed its head in worship. But for the first time ever, the dream didn't end there. I watched the eagle bowing over the slain lamb, and then in an instant, the eagle was me, the lamb was Jesus, and Jesus, looking upon me on my knees, said, Father, forgive him. He didn't know what he was doing. And at that moment, I was awakened by a loud noise. The sun was just coming up, and as I stood to the ground, I realized the earth was shaking underneath my feet. There was a bright flash of light from the area around the tomb. I ran toward it, arriving just in time to see what I had never seen before. Well, actually, several things I had never seen before. My men were running away in fear. There was a huge being. He looked as if he was actually made of light who was rolling away the stone from the entrance to the tomb. I marveled at his strength, remembering how five of us had struggled to move it even a little just the day before. The next thing I saw was something I still have trouble describing. In the entrance to the tomb, I saw Jesus shining, alive. The only evidence of his torture and death were the holes in his hands and feet. And he stood there, the most majestic and powerful man I had ever seen. It was all happening too fast for me to process. I wondered if it was still just the dream. But as my eyes met his, however, I knew that this was real, more real than anything I'd ever experienced in my entire life. In fact, compared to this moment, my whole life felt like a complete sham. All of the things I had worked to gain seemed worthless. Jesus' eyes were still full of compassion and peace, just as they were in Pilate's palace. But this time... My heart drank from them, feeling truly refreshed for the first time ever. And in the blink of an eye, he was gone. The entire scene was quiet. Not just quiet, it was, was peaceful. It was a peace that was deeper than anything I'd ever known, peace that was way beyond what the strength of Rome had ever offered me. And at that moment, there was only one thing to do. I dropped my sword, my shield, my armor all to the ground there in front of me. 
It was the first time I'd been without them in public in 23 years. I felt exposed, weak, vulnerable, and yet at perfect peace. I had overseen the killing of the Son of God, and yet He was alive. He had forgiven me, and in that one act, He had given me more than Rome ever could. I have a new commanding officer now. I would do whatever he asked. I would need to leave the city. A centurion's rejection of Rome would not be taken lightly. As far as they were concerned, I was a dead man. But I knew they were wrong. For the first time ever, I was truly alive.